Welcome to the Trinity Galewood podcast. Here you'll find live messages recorded during our weekly services at Trinity. We are a community that desires to look, live, and love more like Jesus. We're located at 1701 North Narragansett in Chicago and meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Trinity Galewood podcast. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, your word and... uh, It is beautiful, the teaching that you give us. And I pray, Lord, uh, that we would see the beauty of it today, that your spirit would guide and lead us in this conversation to better reflect what it means to look, live, and love more like you. It's all in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, In 1992, the greatest uh, basketball team was ever assembled, the dream team. Does anybody remember the dream team by show of hands here? All right. Um, This might be before your time, which is kind of sad to think right now, but that's okay. All right. The dream team was the United States men's uh, basketball team. They were playing in the Olympics, the 1992 Olympics in Barcelona, Spain, and these guys were incredible. In fact, you might recognize some of the faces up here. There is Michael Jordan, the greatest basketball player of all all time. I don't want to argue if LeBron's on that level, all right? Uh, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson. There's Charles Barkley in the bottom right before he was doing his whole TNT thing. David Robinson. All of these guys, I mean, it was an incredibly stacked team. So much so that 11 of the 12 members of the United States dream team, this team, went on to be in the Hall of Fame for basketball. Anybody know who, by chance, was the one person who's not in the Hall of Fame? Christian Leitner. Yes. All right. There's one guy. Like, how does it feel to be Leitner, right? So one guy who didn't make the Hall of Fame. But, but of this team... They lived up to every expectation that was put on them. I mean, they were celebrities at the 92 Olympics. Everywhere they went, mass crowds followed them. In fact, they won all of their games by an average of 44 points. They crushed everybody. They lived up to every expectation that was put upon them. If you're not running with me, they, they won the gold medal, okay? Won it pretty easily. And I remember watching a documentary about, about the dream team, and Charles Barkley was recounting this story, talking about how everybody was just amazed at how incredible these elite players were in dominating on the basketball court. Barkley recounted that he remembers playing one team early on in the tournament, And there was a guy on the opposing team who had one of these disposable cameras. Everybody remember that? And like where you had to like wind it back. He was sitting on the bench and was taking pictures of the dream team because he had a great view for a photograph and wanted to tell other people about it. These guys were incredible. And it was perplexing to people, how good they were at this game of basketball. I bring this all up because because you and I get this. 
we, we do this all the time in our lives. We see something that is absolutely beautiful, a team that is put together. We give them a, a cool name like the dream team, and we say that this is something that is beautiful, and I want to know more about this. Their domination on the basketball court brought attention to so many people. Today, I want to talk about a different kind of team. They're not known as the dream team, but it is a team that is perplexing to this world. One that really looks different, but is absolutely beautiful. If you haven't caught this yet, our mission here as a church is simply this, to help people look, live, and love more like Jesus. That is who we are as a church here at Trinity Galewood, as a part of our Trinity uh, church family. Our mission is to look, live, and love more like Jesus. And what that means is that we look deeply at the things that Jesus did. We don't just take them as suggestions, but we look closely at how he acted. And so today, I want you to see something that is absolutely beautiful. Something that is perplexing about who Jesus is. Especially when it comes to putting together his own team. He does so with great intention. It has radical implications, and yes, it will be perplexing to this world. See, when Jesus came into this world, you probably know the story. We celebrate this on Christmas. He was born in a manger, and this is the beginning of his story that we see. And, and then what happens is there's this period of time, around like 30 years, where we don't have a whole lot of detail of all the things that Jesus did, a couple of stories. But then Jesus kicks off his ministry, his mission. And, and what he does is radical. See, the common assumption would be this. If I'm going to pick my team, if I'm going to gather a group of people to start the church and spread this good news, to announce that the kingdom of God is here, you would assume that you would go and pick the elite, the dream team, the guys who could do the absolute best. But Jesus does something radical, something beautiful, something that is perplexing to this world. In fact, I'd love for you to write this down. Jesus, from the beginning, invites unlikely people to work in a beautiful mess. And I want to show you one place in the Bible where this is seen in a beautiful way. It comes from Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 9. We read this. Jesus passed on from there and he saw a man called Matthew who was sitting at a tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he, being Matthew, rose and followed him. Uh, there's so much that's happening in this short, quick statement here. First, it's important to notice that 
that Jesus is coming to Matthew. It wasn't that Matthew like had to get everything right or answer a bunch of questions to be on the team. It begins with Jesus going to this tax booth and coming to Matthew. And, and it's also important to note that to be a tax collector during the time of Jesus was not some prestigious job. It wasn't like this really well sought out tons of applications to get into this field of work. No, to be a tax collector meant this. During Jesus' time, uh, Rome was the empire, the government that was put into play. And Rome, as governments do, had a tax that they were putting on the people. And so a tax collector would come to the Roman government and say, hey, I can collect your tax for you and I can get this amount for you. So essentially, it would be like you going to the government and saying, hey, in Chicago on the west side, I can get 20% from the people. And the person who gave the highest bid typically would get that region or area to be a tax collector. But tax collectors weren't just doing that. They also were kind of known as people who liked to line their pockets a little bit. So if they said, hey, I can get 20%, Really, what that meant is that they were probably going to charge the people 22% because that 2% goes to me. And, and so what I'm saying is this, is that a tax collector wasn't a job that somebody like, was really proud of in the family that, hey, my son Matthew, he's a tax collector. In fact, you were hated probably by a lot of people. In, in fact, Matthew, what we know of him is that he was a Jewish person. And now he was going to his own people and imposing a tax on them. If I were to put it into kind of language that maybe we could understand or maybe a job that would fit, uh, it would be like, like a repo man. You know this guy? It shows up with his big truck and if you're late on your car payment or haven't paid your car payment, all of a sudden your car is gone, you know? It, nobody really likes the repo man, necessarily. Or, or even to make it a little bit worse, to maybe get at the heart of what this relationship looked like, a tax collector in our modern terms would be, would be like a drug dealer who uses kids to sell his product. He would be selling something that would be harmful to the people, to his very own people. And... And notice that Jesus comes to this guy, Matthew, a tax collector. And he says, come and follow me. The Son of God comes to this guy, a tax collector. And see, Jesus here, it's not like he doesn't have like a reputation. He, he's been healing people. He's been teaching all kinds of wisdom. People are intrigued by what he is doing. And now Jesus comes to an unlikely candidate. Now you might be saying, okay, well maybe he's like the Christian Lakner of the group, Right? 
the one who wasn't in the Hall of Fame. Maybe the other 11 were really great and lived out all of what Jesus had needed and expected. Well, no, actually Jesus goes even deeper because what happens next is absolutely beautiful. We read, after this moment, uh, Jesus reclined at table in the house of Matthew, we read, and many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. We read that now Jesus gets an invitation to go to Matthew's house. And it's not just one tax collector, now it's many tax collectors. And Jesus brings his boys too along to say, we are sitting here to eat. And the Pharisees, the religious people of that time, they saw this, we read in verse 11, and they said to Jesus' disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And this is an important question that the religious people are asking. Because eating with a group of people wasn't just like, hey, we're eating in the same restaurant. Eating with a group of people in Jesus' culture means that, that it reinforced the stability of society and inner relationships that existed between members of a given group. To eat with somebody meant that we were on the same page about some things. I've never seen the movie, but my wife informed me that it's kind of like Mean Girls. <laughs> Anybody seen this movie before? All right, the lunchroom table here. All right, in Mean Girls, there's like certain rules. Again, I swear I have never seen this movie before, but the internet tells me that one of the rules is on Wednesday, there are no pink on Wednesdays. Ladies know this, right? Or that on Fridays, uh, track pants or jeans only. And it's the rule of the table. Some of you are with me. Others of you are like, what is this guy talking about? That's all right, okay? What I mean by this is that, that there was this rule that was committed that to be a part of this group meant that we did these kinds of things. And now what Jesus does is he blows that whole thing up. He changes the whole paradigm. And it was radical. It was completely radical. Which gets me to a little conversation about the Pharisees. The religious people during that time. The ones who kept all the religious rules and laws perfectly, supposedly. Uh, and you think of a Pharisee, I don't know if you saw this skit, we're hitting all generations today, but Dana Carvey, Saturday Night Live, he had this great skit called The Church Lady. And, and what the church lady simply did is she invited people on her show and she spent all this time condemning other people using all sorts of Christian catchphrases and such things. And what was hilarious about the skit was that you knew that it was filled with all kinds of hypocrisy, all kinds of condemnation that was just silly and ridiculous. When you think of the Pharisees, we think of this lady. But, but honestly, I'd be willing to bet that some of you have had this perception of church before. Maybe that's the reason that it keeps you from coming here on a Sunday morning. 
Like you're just waiting for somebody to comment on what you wore to church today. Or or maybe you're thinking that, you know, if, if the church really knew who I was, if they could like peel through the layer of how I appear to be on Sunday morning, it wouldn't really be a place for me that I'm disqualified to even step through the doors. I guess I'm here today to say simply this. I wish the church would spend more time sitting with people instead of slandering people. I'll say it again. I wish the church would spend more time sitting with people than slandering people. Just like Jesus did many years ago. As he sat with a group of people who were known as sinners and tax collectors. But what's so important is that Jesus then says something that is vital for you and me to get. This is for the classified tax collectors and sinners and for the Pharisees as well. Because he teaches something that at first glance will smash you. It will make you not think about you. It will make you feel terrible. But he also lifts you up in this moment as well. Jesus says this next in Matthew 9, 12 through 13. He says, but when he heard it, Jesus said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I came not to call the righteous, but to call sinners. See, the smashing element of this is that Jesus says, I've come for the sick. I've came for those who cannot fix themselves. And that, at first glance, can be kind of against me. I think I'm a pretty good dude most of the time. But Jesus says, no, I've come for the sick. Your sin is that real. And then he says this perplexing thing that I honestly thought about endlessly this week. He says, for I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Go and learn what this means. What I think what Jesus is talking about here is he's talking about this idea of sacrifice that was known before Jesus' time. One that God's people had this mindset of that to please the angry God, we had to sacrifice the right animal. And, And in fact, what we read is that in other places of the scriptures, Jesus is referring to some teaching that some prophets before him had spoken about. In Isaiah 11.1 1, and in Hosea 6.6, 6, it says this, for I, uh, for I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. And what Jesus is getting here to is that I desire, what God is saying is that I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. 
and while that might seem like, oh, is he just talking about something that was many years ago and a system that was put in the plate? No, I think it applies for us today. Because what he's saying today is that you and I need to look away from our sacrifices. You and I need to look away from the sacrifices that we give to God, thinking that that is the thing that pleases him. In fact, you might be saying, well, how in the world do I do that? Let me say it like this. If you have this mindset of thinking that God owes you something, that because I showed up for church today and, and I wore my best looking outfit and I said hi to two people, that now God is just going to erase everything. You're looking at your sacrifices. If, if you think, or if you're just constantly feeling angry and upset, and you have this tension and level of that God's not fair in all things that he does, I get that, it is complicated. But I want you to look beyond your sacrifices. See, when we have this mindset, we seem to be looking more like the church lady, right? Thinking that God is on my team because of all the things that I do for him. See, Jesus blows up this mindset of good and bad, and he establishes something different. He says, instead, I want you to focus on mercy. Mercy. Compassion. What, what that means is simply this. A quick definition. Mercy is compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish and harm. Mercy, Jesus says, is something that he now attaches to other people. That because of God's sacrifice, now we are called to look at other people differently around us. And we attach this to our love to other people. So the question becomes, you know, I say, well, how am I doing with mercy? How do I know if I'm doing this right? Well, let me ask you two questions. Simply this. How do you deal with other people's failure? Does it just bother you endlessly? How do you deal with somebody that messes up? Do you constantly condemn them? Or do you condemn them based upon their intentions rather than what they have done? Here today, Jesus runs to broken people, those who are struggling but maybe even in a deeper way to understand mercy. Let me ask this question. How do you deal with your own failure? How do you deal with when you mess up? Do you think now I gotta do twice as much? Does that keep you away from knowing who God is? it actually lead you into a place thinking that, man, can I actually be loved even though 
I've messed up. See, Jesus in this moment is taking this understanding of good or bad and he's simply smashing it. Saying it's not a matter of being good or bad, but instead he brings a new paradigm into play. He says the separation isn't good or bad. The separation is between those who are proud or humble. I need you to get this point because this is important. What he's getting to is he's saying, I want you to understand that I've come for the sick. I've come for those who acknowledge that they cannot do it on their own. I've come for those who are willing to say, Lord, I'm in need of your grace. I'm in need of your forgiveness. It is my source of life and being and purpose. It is my identity. And now I'm identified by what has been done for me because of Jesus' death and resurrection. Because of his resurrection, I cling to this new identity. And so, God, in his church, is inviting unlikely people to work in a beautiful mess. I want to finish just with this simple, simple thought. In a second, uh, you're, you're going to get a t-shirt, and this is what it looks like, all right? Um, I think that design is just dope. All right? I do. I, like, we had multiple designs that were made and all sorts of stuff. And, um, and if you're not aware, that is a picture of the building that you are sitting in here today. All right? And, and I love this design, not just because it looks cool and it's like, hey, that's our church. I love this design because when I see this picture of the building, it makes me smile. Because where you are sitting, this building is a beautiful mess. Uh, There are people, when the doors are open, that will walk in here and just look around. Maybe you did that the first time you came here. And you will notice all the beautiful stained glass. Uh, You'll notice the beautiful archways that are all around here. And, and people have said that I've driven by this building thousands of times, but I've always wanted to see the beauty inside of it. And it is a beautiful space that has been gifted to us. But let me tell you that this space is also a mess. It's beautiful, but we got tiles chipping up in weird random places throughout this building. Uh, I'm sorry, I hate this red carpet that I see right here. Uh, (laughs) We've had water leaking in, and we're getting more or or better at the leakage that is happening. It is improving, but we have water stains that exist in certain places. I'm not going to point them out because they might annoy you. Oh, and speaking of water, we had a car wash this summer, and in the middle of the car wash, the water stopped working. And speaking of things that stopped working, if you were here on Christmas Eve, anybody here on Christmas Eve, you had to wear like a snowsuit because the heat didn't work on Christmas Eve this last year. 
in this building. And if you've been here in the summertime, you've wanted to just wear a swimsuit because we don't have AC in this joint, right? This building is a beautiful mess. It is one that is absolutely gorgeous, but is a mess as well. And I love it because it reflects the people that are here in it today. This church is filled with people who are a beautiful mess. This pastor likes to roll up his pants a little bit to expose his ankles. It's a beautiful mess. People who are beautiful but broken. Nobody here can stand up to say that they're perfect. People who are talented. I mean, our praise today and our choir and all things that are here are just a reminder of the talent that exists in this room. Can I get an amen for that? But we have people here who are searching and have real struggles and issues. We have people here that make up this church who are understanding and learning what it means to desire mercy instead of sacrifice. That is who we are, humble and knowing that Jesus invites unlikely people to work in a beautiful mess. But I got one last ask here, one last thing to say. And um, I want you to grab these right now. They're in the seat back in front of you. It's what we have titled our Learn More card. Part of today, I'll be honest, like my, my big goal today is simply this, to invite more people into this beautiful mess. I don't care if you're a college student and you're only gonna be here for like a couple more months. I don't, I don't care if, if this is the first time that you visited or you've been here multiple times and there's something that's holding you back from getting connected in. I, I want you to take seriously this moment to, to see that that this church is a place that we just want to invite more people in. That this is a beautiful mess. There are many ways that you can get connected in here. I'll go through them real quick. The first one being our welcome team. We have a designated group of people that every single Sunday are standing outside when it's nice outside and just are here to give high fives, fist bumps, handshakes, all sorts of stuff to say we're pumped that you're here. We have a hospitality team. If you're not one of those people that like to do that and you want to be behind the scenes and just make some food or something, that's the job for you. We'd love to get you connected into that. You see our music team that exists. We have wide variety of, of talent and level and skill. We would love to get you plugged into our worship team, our sound and visual team that exists back there. I would love to have more people that would just be engaged and involved in that ministry. Maybe it's Kids Street. 
a time that just pours in with, with kids and teaches them what it means to look, live, and love more like Jesus. Maybe, maybe it's nothing to do with Sunday morning. Maybe you just want to be in greater community and, and just have some people to come together along. We have what is called the Red Letter Challenge. That's happening in two weeks. And that's going to be our small groups that we kick off in the fall where we're gonna be looking at the letters of Jesus, the teachings that he gave and take on a challenge for 40 days to take his word seriously and see what that would mean for our lives and do that collectively as a group of people. There are five different groups that are meeting to do that. We have, we have a group of students every single Tuesday this year that are gonna be doing after school programming here. We have a beautiful partnership with Joseph Lovett, the school right here on our block where we have 40 to 50 kids that come over after school and they run around, they're crazy, they do all kinds of stuff. And it's a lot of fun. And it's also a time where we, like, we have a snack, we, we do small groups, we talk about life, purpose, and meaning. And in fact, <clears throat> I want you to notice um, in the fellowship hall over here, we have a board of just donations that we need to provide snacks for that group. So maybe you can't be here on Tuesdays after school from 3.45 to 5.45. I know it's a weird time for the normal working person, all right? But you can help and be a part of that by just providing some snacks and food for our kids. Or, or maybe that's something completely different, our gospel justice initiative, something that we're launching here this fall. It is going to be a time, one Saturday a month, where we're going to have the doors opened and lawyers that will be present on site here to assist people that have questions about injustices that are going on in their life. And I would love, we're just going to be a bridge for, for two things, what the church should be. And if you're interested in getting involved and engaged in that, that is starting something new. Man, there is, this is a great way to get plugged in. Or maybe you got some wild, crazy idea that you just want to like launch and start, and we would love to walk with you in this. Here's my, my gift or my challenge to you today is simply this. Jesus invites unlikely people to work in a beautiful mess. God's called you for something. My prayer would be that you would see how God is calling you to be a part of this community of people, those who know that they are broken but can point to our Savior who brings the greatest sacrifice. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God who calls unlikely people in, into the family. And Lord, that is perplexing to me at times. That you didn't just call the elite, but you call everyone to be a part of this beautiful mess. Lord, I just pray that we would find great joy in the fact of your, your calling, your invitation. And Lord, also may we see the life that that brings 
because of your death and resurrection. So Lord, help us to just be bold, to not look at failure as something that we hold against other people, but all the more reason that we're dependent upon you, Lord. Help us to take our eyes off of our sacrifices and look upon your sacrifice that compels us to show mercy to others. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.